All right, awesome. So what's going on, folks? Welcome to tonight's episode of the Running Gun Podcast. I'm not going to mess it up again like I did last week, and that way Ace can yell at me. Yeah. Um, I'm Jay Peeps. And I'm Ace. And we and have a special guest. Yes, we do. We have Florida A&M pass, defensive pass game coordinator, recruiting coordinator, and outside linebackers coach, Coach Dan Lemke, joining us this evening. So, Coach, we're excited to have you. I'm excited to be here. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I hope I got everything right in there. So it is defensive pass game coordinator. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You got it. You got it. Perfect. Awesome. The full resume. We're good. Yeah, right. That's the important thing. So, yeah. So basically, folks, tonight, the rundown is basically this. You know, we got a couple questions. Thank you. We're going to a little bit of recapping the spring game and everything with coach we're gonna talk about the nfl we're gonna find out we're gonna find out who his favorite team is and he also has got to make his pitch for his uh two uh draft eligible guys this year he has to make their, his pitch and promotion for those two guys for the draft too so they could be getting some publicity and all that you know yes no doubt most definitely uh ace you got anything uh, I mean, you know, be a friend, tell a friend, like, share, subscribe. We have another guest coming on Tuesday, 8 o'clock, so don't miss that one on last give. Um, yeah, I mean, excited for this episode. I mean, I just let's get this thing going. I mean, unless you got anything to hit for the two-minute mark, I don't know. Uh-oh. Coach, you got anything? Nope, I'm good. Awesome. Uh, let's start early. Uh, Mac time. Yeah, we ran through that pretty quickly. But, yeah, let's go ahead and just, yeah, let's go ahead and roll the intro. Hey, what's going on, guys? This is JP. This is the Bull. This is JC. This is Flash. This is Denny Hendricks. And you're listening to. And you're listening to. And you're listening to. And you're listening to the Run and Gun Podcast. kind of recognize that that tune or anything but that's actually the marching 100 in the background oh yeah i i recognize it trust me we we have marching 100 playing all over the house with my boys they're they're usually marching around the house as the marching 100 i like you know i'm not gonna lie it's an embarrassing story but i was the same way as a kid and everything so i i know what it's like and everything the first homecoming and everything and seeing it for the first time and seeing everything and you just like as a kid you're like wow yeah yeah it's not embarrassing not embarrassing at all we we do it all the time at the house i like it i like see i'm I'm trying to i'm trying to get ace in on it and everything that way he can experience it so we we're going to try to get him to homecoming down to miami or to orlando yeah you know what? I told him. I told him that too. I told him. I was like, we might have to just get you to all three because people have been clamoring for you. But yeah, they were asking for us at the um, the one against um, God. Now I'm forgetting. 
Yeah, Florida Classic, they were just complaining about. There was Ashton was asking where we. My yeah. wife just keeps cutting off me. I don't know why. It's not liking me today. He was asking where you were, Ace. But uh, let's go ahead and jump into this. This, this, is, this is about Coach. It's not about us. I know. So, and you're, you're going off on a tangent. So the first question I have for right. Coach is uh, it's really from a recruiting standpoint. Um, so what are uh, when recruiting a kid, what's, what's the first thing you look for? Did, we, did he cut out? Can you hear us, Coach? Wait. Uh-oh. I think he froze. Yeah. Oh, wait. He's there. He's back. All right. I'm ask back. that question. Sorry. Ask that question back, Jordan. Oh, yeah, let me ask it again. Sure. I, was, I was asking uh, – well, first, first up, it's kind of a two-part question. Um, which counties do you do you hit on and in, in within the state of Florida? And then also, too um, – when recruiting, what's the first thing you look for in a kid? Sure. Uh, from a, a recruiting county standpoint, what we do is we split up Florida, and each coach has specific counties and areas. For me, I'm basically from uh, Hillsborough County all the way down in the southwest part. So I have you know, Sarasota, I have Fort Myers, I have Naples, I have that whole area of the state. And then the rest of the state split up among the rest of our staff. When it comes to what we look at, the first and foremost thing we do is we take a look at the film. You know, we get the list from the coaches. We see it on Twitter, whatever it is. And we mm -hmm. put the film on and look to see if their skill set is going to be a skill set that we're looking for, we can use, or a skill set that's to the caliber that we need at Florida A&M. That's the very first thing we look for. Wait, so you said Hillsborough County? Yeah. Oh, you would have been my recruiting coach. Well, I mean, I, I got here a few years after you. Yeah, you did. It's unfortunate. See, this <laughs> this is what we was talking about earlier. But my, my bad. Ace, go on with your question. Okay, well, my question would have been, so, like, how, how does your schedule work out then? Because, you know, you have to manage your roles as, like, defense passing game coordinator. But also being a recruiting, recruiting coordinator, how does your schedule? out throughout like a week or say uh, the whole season like the, for the calendar year sure um when it comes time to watch the film evaluate the film or with the defensive staff once we break off there it's time to get ready for position meetings and make sure the film's ready the notes are made um, everything's graded <clears throat> and then from that point i kind of transition into the recruiting side of it from evaluation to uh, official visits, uh, unofficial visits, and, and that type of stuff. And the beauty is now uh, we've got a couple new additions to the staff coming on that are helping on the recruiting side. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I can focus a little bit more on the, the outside linebackers and the nickels and the football side of it instead of doing the paperwork. Nice. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Who really doesn't? Who really does like to do paperwork? Nobody does. No, it, it, paperwork's not not the most fun, but you you have to do it. And yeah, especially from the NCAA standpoint, you want to make sure you know you're, you you're get it right. Tees yeah. across, everything's on point. Yes. Uh, so my question now is: is um, because I, I asked Coach Black this when he was still on staff, but uh, what makes the FAMU job different from other HBCUs and previous jobs you've been at? First and foremost is 
the the logo, you know, the Rattler head, and and what that represents. Uh, FAMU is the number one HBCU public HBCU in the land, and and everything we do from recruiting to on the field to the way we interact in the community represents that in the 80,000 plus alumni that are out there. You know, like I said earlier, before we started, I'm on a professional development trip currently. And as I'm going through the airports yesterday, I see people wearing FAMU gear and Rattler gear. And, you know, the reception that you get or give based on their Rattler, you know, hey, hey, Rattler, that type of stuff, that is completely different than anywhere else I've ever been or anywhere I've seen, you know, through through my journey of, of, of this profession. I can agree with that. Definitely agree. And that's basically everything Coach Black said, too. I <laughs> definitely get behind that. Great. great yes. Like. <laughs> All right. So this one's more like a football standpoint question. So you FAMU was ranked like number two in the SWAC last year, you know, in terms of standings and also defense. So how much do you guys pride yourself on keeping yourselves right there? And even though you guys, you know, you have that LeBron James sponsorship with the school and you're going to have these type of pr production on both sides of the ball and being competing for a SWAC championships for the last, for the first time, like, I'm going to say you guys first year in the SWAC and you guys yep. are still kicking butt essentially and already at number two in the conference. Like, how much you guys pride yourself on that? Like, what do you guys say for having that kind of success so fast? Well, it, it's an testament or a testament, excuse me, to how the program set up, the culture of the program, and where this program is going. Um, the biggest thing to me is we're not satisfied being number two or close to the top. We want to be number one, and that's not just in the SWAC; that's in all of FCS football, and that's what every single day the staff, the players anybody associated with the program is working towards and that's our ultimate goal and to do that it's focusing in on the little details every single day so we can take that next step and like you said last year uh, we ended up losing that first game of the the year um, down in Miami 7-6 and that really was the difference between being number one number two you know and in through this offseason through spring through the summer through camp um, what we're trying to do and what we're geared towards is making sure we take that next step and, and continue to elevate the program. I love that answer. I love that answer. That, that everything that you just said, that is the one thing that a lot of the alumni, especially because again, my mom is, Ace doesn't know this. My mom is family class of 84. I believe it was 84, 85 she was telling me. I know she's going to watch this and probably get upset if I don't get the year right. That's okay. But that's that putting that, that age out there too now. Yeah, I wasn't going to say anything. With this. <laughs> yeah, I'll just say she is a family alumni. There you go. But that's still that's the thing that they always talk about and everything, and that was the talk after the Classic is, you know, it's just like how far you guys as a staff have brought this program and risen it back from where it was. Mm -hmm prior to where y'all got here. And, you know, they always talk about, you know, this program is in a lot better, in a much better place than where you guys found it as. And they, they them and a lot of other alumni, they are just so thankful for what y'all have done and where y'all have taken this thing. And they can't wait to see like what's to come in the future because they know big things are going to come. 
Absolutely. And it, it's been, it's been a fun journey. You know, I got here going into coach Simmons second year. So he was hired, came in for that 18 year. I got here in 19, mm-hmm. but it, it all starts at the top, you know, from, from the way that coach Simmons um, conveys his vision of the program, mm-hmm. uh, the way the administration supports it, it, it all starts at the top. And I'm just, you know, blessed enough to be on staff and help to, get that vision accomplished and, and relay that information and really get the, get my position group and, you know, the future Rattlers to see that vision and, and work towards it. So it's been a blessing all around. Most definitely. Most definitely. And, and that brings me now to my next question is uh, defensively related. Uh, so, you know, you guys came out that first game of the year, you came up a little bit short, seven six against Jackson State, a team that many people had. And I know you guys read the press clippings. A lot of people would say, you know, FAMU stands no chance against these SEC and Power Five transfers. You guys went out there and went toe to toe with these guys, and really, as I say, you guys were a missed kick or a missed drag route away from taking that game. Honestly, in my opinion, um, but you know, a testament has to be spoken to the defense. Honestly, you know how how much higher do you guys believe that? the dark clouds defense can go in year two. Well, our, our goal as a defensive staff, which is set forth by the defense coordinator is, you know, to lead the, the nation in sacks, uh, takeaways, turnovers, you know, and, and all that type of stuff in, in um, tackles for loss. So it's an aggressive style of defense. So with us not being number one by you know, a large margin, we want to continue to work on that and get to that point. So really the work's never done. And the the other part of that is once you become number one, we want to stay number one. You know, it's not good enough just to get there. We want to make sure we're there consistently and dominated. And so to answer your question, how much better can we get every single day we're working um, whether it's our drill work, it's it's scheme, it's film, whatever it is, we're working to become number one and stay number one. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Ace. All right. So we all know um, you guys are going to have your first game this in uh, Chapel Hill, right? And we also know Tennessee State is going to be going up to, um, uh, how do you want to say, South Bend? What do they call Notre Dame? South oh. Bend, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So, so like, how how do you guys want to keep getting that more like publicity on the national spotlight, going to these uh, big power five schools, playing them, and you know, not getting not getting destroyed like how you see some of these smaller schools, but you know, making your name, make the stops, all that stuff, and make HBCU become more prominent in the the aspect of the country that doesn't exactly know about it. Well, how you do that is you go handle your business. You know, in in that that doesn't start on game day that started way back in, you know, December when our season ended and it was time to move forward and and turn the page, if you will. It started in January. It's, it's been going on the whole time. The culmination of all that is game day. So the whole thing on that is you go up there and you got to handle your business. And the beauty about football is it's one play at a time and it's do your one eleventh. There's 11 guys on the field, mm-hmm. specifically defensively. If one out of those 11 guys aren't doing what they're supposed to, it's going to be a long day. So mm-hmm. we've got to be able to focus in one play at a time, 
one rep at a time and continue to build on that, not worry about the, the very end of it or worry about what happened, but that very next rep is the most important thing. And if we do that, that's going to help, you know, show that HBCU football is great football and we can compete on the highest level and we're going to go do everything we can to do that. I agree. I agree. Cause I, I honestly felt as though I felt like y'all could have came back on USF. Honestly, y'all were only down by what one touchdown in the final minute. I was like, this is still a game. Yeah. And I was like, Don't turn this off yet. And when you look at the film, it's, it's like anything else, a play here, play there, completely different outcome. But ultimately, it comes down to the things that we do or don't do well uh, compared to what other teams are doing. And that's typically the case. So every time you watch film or everything you're working at is to to fix those little things. So now in the future, you can execute and you can come out on the right end of that. I agree. And one last question for me before we move on. Uh, so as a, as a former defensive back that – played in the nickel and played corner and played safety. Uh, I always wanted to get different coaches' opinions on this because you always hear it talked about at the combine stuff. So when you teach your defensive backs to get out, or even really your linebackers to come out of a break, yep. you prefer the T-step or just to just get out of it and go? Real, I've taught it multiple different ways. And to me, the biggest thing is being efficient in the break. A lot of times we work heavy with the guys I work with. We work heavy in the T-plant because our hips are already cracked. Now, I've coached it with guys who are truly in a backpedal. We've done the bicycle step, the running through. But really what it comes down to is being efficient in and out of your break. No wasted movement, if you will, being able to sink your hip over your ankle, put, put all the pressure on that plant foot, get a directional step, point your toe and knee where you're going, and then my players hear me say three or less, meaning get to full speed in three or less steps. Is that realistic? It's pretty difficult. But up here, you understand three or less. I've got to get in and out of my break and be full speed at the correct angle. That's buying the six inches back that DBs need to make the difference between possibly a pick six and a first down. So that's that's the break, in essence, what we're trying to do and, and accomplish. So Again, to answer your question, whatever is the most e uh, most efficient for you individually, we're going to go do it. But a lot of times, if your hips are already cracked, you can't bicycle step out of that. Nice. That's that was educational. I like that. <laughs> All right, I have one more question before we move on. So, so you know how players always say like, "Who's he modeled their game after?" Right when they're going to the next level and whatnot. Yep. Is that the same thing for coaching? When you guys teach it, do you guys follow like certain practices that head coaches or defensive coordinators in the NFL use, and like how does that work out for coaching staffs? Yeah, absolutely. Everybody has a mentor somebody that they can call up or they've learned from in a lot of coaching you you develop it along the way but you start from how your coaches coached you you know things you like things you didn't like drill work that you did and it kind of develops from there so as you go you go on professional development trips and so forth to get educated to learn more different ways that might be better to communicate with the players to teach drill work to teach fundamentals and technique and you mold it to what's going to fit you and your players the best 
you know, right now I'm up here doing professional development. Um, I met probably about eight hours already today with the defensive coordinator um, who I've known for about 20 years. He was working at Western Michigan on staff when I was playing there. So I call him up and I'm able to take the trip. And it's not the first time there's a bunch of other coaches that you learn from. So just like a player, you know, you're, you're molding yourself into the good and, and away from the bad, if you will. But you're always learning from everybody you work with and, and people you know in the profession. Nice. I like that. Um, also, folks, before we do move on, if you guys wish to comment on this or have any questions for Coach. Oh, yeah. I'll post the YouTube link on Twitter. Not mean to, I meant to make that a – I meant to make that a scrolling one. Okay, that's much better. Um, yeah, if you guys wish to comment or anything like that, head over to YouTube as we transition over. Uh, so, yeah, now we are now in the HBCU part of this. So, uh, just to recap the spring game and everything, a few takeaways that I saw was um, definitely QB play. Um, Musa and Maradovich both look good. McKay. Yeah, I felt like he had a decent day. Uh, again, like I stated earlier, I felt like the Dark Clouds defense as a unit, you guys got faster. Um, I'm not sure. Sh- I'm trying to still figure out who is number 13 from the Orange team that was playing wide receiver because I feel like he's going to develop into like a, an excellent like third or fourth wide receiver behind uh, Xavier Smith and uh, Jamari Sharid. So the, the beauty about the spring game, is, did you guys watch the draft at all? Yes, I did. I did. Okay. So the beauty about the spring game doing that draft is is to see for for the audience, if you will, to see kind of some of the strategy and who we're drafting and so forth. And, and that kind of <clears throat> guides the way the game is going to go. <clears throat> so I was on the, the green team and we mm-hmm. got the first pick and we, we picked, you know, an offensive tackle. Mm-hmm. So the orange team came back with a really great strategy of picking two quarterbacks. Mm. So now you're left with four other quarterbacks and everybody else. So you got to figure out what you're going to do. Obviously we went with, and we picked Kate and we took Zay Smith and, you know, the receivers. And so it was interesting to me on, on Saturday to see how the draft uh, played out. Obviously, in my opinion, the, the, the team that won was the wrong team because I was on the other sideline, but um, mm. it was interesting to see all that played out. And you notice, you know, different play selection and so forth. And it's based on the personnel that you picked up on whatever night that was Wednesday night. Right. Right. Uh, and then also to the, uh, the linebacker transfer, well, both of them, I'm not sure if Eric Horn played, but the Iowa state transfer, but Isaiah major played. And that was one player that I came away saying, this team got a lot better and upgraded mm-hmm. in the linebacker position. Like he, he, he honestly, to me, he reminds me of Telvin Smith who played at Florida state with the Jaguars. Okay. Yep. Very physical presence in the middle. Yeah. And he can be athletic and make plays on the ball. So, I mean, how much of an upgrade or how much of an added bonus has he been to this defensive unit? Well, he came in and, and was playing really well. He plays fast. He's, he's intelligent. You know, we're we're very pleased to have him and, and feel that he's a great addition to that linebacking core. Um, you know, you, you lose. Uh-oh. He froze. I think he froze again. 
Yeah, he froze. Welcome back. All right, that's better. All right, I'm back. Yep, you're good. So what I was saying is, is we're very pleased to to have him here. Um, we feel he was a great addition to the team, not only from a on the field standpoint, but an off the field standpoint. A very intelligent player, and, and everybody saw him moving around on the field, you know, this past Saturday. So um, he's definitely going to be able to to step up and and help us on the defensive side. So we're really happy with that. And the other transfers we we had come in at semester. Same thing, you know, we're, we're pleased with everybody that came in and um, there's a, obviously a learning curve to a new style of defense or new calls or mm-hmm. what have you. So, um, you know, that learning curve just is as sharp as it can be uh, is, is better. But we've got all summer to, to help develop that, their understanding of the defense. And then you have camp and it's go time. Yes, sir. And, it's, and that was the thing that I took away from it was, is like early on in the game, I noticed the defense was getting the better of the offense and everything. And then eventually the QBs kind of settled into a rhythm. But I was thinking to myself at first, I was like, if this defense continues to just keep on pouring the pressure on, if this had been like an actual, you know, full go, like everyone's live type of situation, I think that that game goes a little bit differently. Um, cause I felt as though like you guys were just very suffocating even more so than y'all were last year defensively. So, I, and then even on the orange team too, they, there were a few guys that stood out defensively that mm-hmm. I feel would be able to contribute as we get closer to fall. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the beauty about spring is the offense will have great practice, one practice, the defense will have great practice in next. But when you look at the overall picture, you want that balance between offense and defense because that is is a better picture, I guess, is, is a way to say it, a better picture for how the fall is actually going to go. Because if one side dominates, you know, 75 to 80% of the practices, mm. how is it going to play out when you're playing another team? And that's the beauty about going against each other is that that push-pull, if you will, or that teeter-totter effect of one side and the other. So to me, it's always good to see, you know, one side doing really well and then the other side cranks it up and vice versa because the reality of football, if one side of the ball is doing well, the other side's not going to be doing well. Because you have two two different sides of the ball trying to do the exact same thing at the or the opposite thing, I should say, at the exact same time. So something's got to give. It's true. It's true. Right. Yeah, so I have two questions, but I'll go to the first one first. So you were talking yeah. about like when one side's having a good day, the other side isn't, right? So is it chirping on when, when like the defense is having a good day, but the offense isn't? How much how much more chirping is there for you guys like during the spring compared to the fall? <clears throat> well, it's all about having fun. You know, when yeah. you're out there with, with your family – having fun. It's just like if you guys are playing games at home or card games with your friends, there's going to be some talk back and forth. But the big thing that we want to focus on is making sure that talking and that chirping doesn't get in the way of executing. Yeah. And a lot of times in in some other spots I've been that chirping gets going and it's fun, but then it, it hits a point where certain guys lose focus on what they're in the play slips. Yeah. Play. And now that's when the snowball starts coming. So, mm-hmm. you know, have fun and everything, but make sure you're, it's not interfering with with getting the job done. Yeah. 
right. And okay. my second question was, so I assume you saw, like, was it two weeks ago, that video, the horrible technique and stuff in that camp, right? Did, was that, like, one of the first things you all did for uh, after the draft and you were practicing for the uh, Green and Orange game? Was that, like, the video you guys showed to the players and said, don't ever do this ever in a game or in practice or anything? We did video, but um, it goes back to fundamentals, you know, and that's one of the seven pillars that Coach Simmons has for the program is fundamentals. Mm -hmm. So if you're teaching proper fundamentals, things like that aren't necessarily going to happen. Now, in camps, you do see that because you have two guys who don't know each other trying to impress how many other people are at that camp watching that different rep. So they're trying to make a statement for themselves. But ultimately, you bring it back into fundamentals. Teach the fundamentals of the game, execute the fundamentals, and that's going to help carry the performance through. And to me, that really stands out at camps and watching film, you know, is the technique, the fundamentals. And that really can make the difference between being a good player and being a great player. And that's why we focus on it and why it's one of the seven pillars. Absolutely. Absolutely. Was that you out there, Ace, by the way? No. Nah. That was you at corner, wasn't it? <laughs> nah. <laughs> nah. I was going to say, if it wasn't, he got a good jam on him and everything. Got all up in his chest and everything. <laughs> it would have been a good jam, and then everything else just went bye-bye. Wrong direction. <laughs> all right, so my my thing is now I look at the, I look at the road test on the schedule ahead yep. for the season. Uh, I – and I know you've gotten a chance to go to certain environments last season and everything. So I know this season as follows the road schedule is going to be Chapel Hill, uh, Orangeburg, Grambling, and Montgomery, Alabama. Those yep. are your road. Those are your guys' road tests. So, I mean, as far as toughest road tests this season, uh, which game is it that you guys feel? Because honestly, I feel like y'all have like all the right teams coming to Tallahassee this year. Mm-hmm. Which – which road test, in both of y'all opinions, Coach, we'll start with you, is sure. the toughest? Well, obviously going to Chapel Hill is, mm. is east in itself, um, mm. especially on zero week. <clears throat> but then when you look at the FCS part of it, South Carolina State is always tough. We, I was here in 19 when we went up and played there. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> they always play well at home. Uh, Grambling, obviously, is, is – one of the big names um, in HBCU football. Um, so going out there, they're they're not going to take it lightly that fans come into their home. No. Um, but here's my take on all of it, whether it's a home game or an away game. FAMU is the number one HBCU football program out there. And we're always going to get their best. You know, and Jackson State saying the same thing, and they should. But we're always going to get everybody's best shot. And that's regardless of being home or away. So no matter what road trip it is, we got to go handle business. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was my thing. I Because I look at the um, – well, actually, Ace, I'm going to let you go first. Go ahead, Ace. Well, I think Coach Neil say um, – actually, I was going to say exactly what he said. I- UNC because it's UNC and then also South Carolina State. They got another dog there at linebacker coming up, so I want to see him play FAMU and I want to see how the offense handles him. Mm. But, I mean, JPPC, you going to have a question for Coach on actually oh. a player from South Carolina State. 
All right. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely, I agree with you, coach. Um, like you said, Grambling, of course, I know they probably feel the most disrespected of all the teams on that road slate, considering, you know, they were the homecoming opponent and then the way the game unfolded with all that madness and everything. I, ca I can't say what I want to say, uh, <laughs> but you know, again, I, I feel like that's going to, that'll probably be the toughest road test, but I'm like you, you know, you got to go out there, the orange and green, for years has always brought the best out of teams or and opposing fans and stuff. So, you know, you go out, you go in there with the intention to win and nothing else, handle your business, come away with the W. So, you know, that's, yeah, that, that's my take. Go and, ahead. And the beauty about it too, I'm, I'm going to add to that. The beauty about that is the atmosphere we have at home in Bragg is like none other, you know, and, we travel so well, so we get that that um, home field, you know, fan base coming with us. So that always helps. But no matter what, to go in somebody's backyard and and take them on is is pretty tough. Oh yeah, absolutely. All right. So I want actually Darius Lynn, I would say so. It was the last year. I know I can't. I always mix it between if it was Alabama State or A and M. But you remember, you guys had the crazy comeback and. When, when he was running for the 80-yard touchdown to end the game, essentially, but there was a coach high-stepping. So what, what was your reaction to this? I asked Savion Williams the same question, so I'm going to ask you again. Like, how did yep. you, like, what was your reaction to seeing him high-step down the sideline? That, that was actually Alabama A&M. Okay, uh, I always mix them up. And, and uh, you know, I, I didn't see it happen at the time. I was – because I'm up in the booth. So oh. play go, we had oh. finished our adjustments and so forth. and But I saw the picture of it. <laughs> And as soon as I saw that, I sent it to Coach Stanchek, and um, you know we we were having a good time with that one. So I I wish I had seen it live. Though. Oh my god! I was thinking to myself, I was like, when I saw the replay of that, I was like, he is going to be on Sports Center. He's going to be on. Come on, man! I was like, this is this is going to be like on every social media platform from here on out. That was hilarious. Yeah, it's a good thing he didn't get hurt too. Because <laughs> had I done that on the sideline, who knows what was going to happen? <laughs> You'd have been all right, Coach. You'd have been yeah. all right. I like to think so, but I'm, you know, I'm I'm not as young as I used to be. I'm not old, but I'm not as young as I used to be. You got Father Tom on your side, Coach. <laughs> Tom Brady's got nothing on you. You're right. <laughs> and speaking of Tom Brady, that now brings us to the NFL. So, you know, I got to start off with the first one. Who is Coach Lemke a fan of in the NFL? Player uh, coach. I grew up in Minnesota, so the Vikings have always been my to-go team. Uh, my wife is from Michigan, so she's a Lions fan. You oh. know, and, and the beauty about a Lions fan is at the beginning of the year, before mm -hmm. the first kickoff, the Lions are winning the Super Bowl, hands down. Ball's kicked off. They get a few quarters in, and that tune is completely different. Top five pick. So in our house, it's, you know, the, the Vikings and the Lions, we go back and forth, and, and our boys get going back and forth, which team they're going to pick and be on. Um, but really moving forward, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to be a Rams fan because kind of like college football, where I know somebody on staff, I'm going to pull for them. You know, and with Coach Black over with the Rams, mm -hmm. I want all the best for him. So I'm pulling hard for them now. 
Coach, I hope you. I, I was hoping you would have said the other. I was hoping you would have said the other. <laughs> it's okay though. It's okay. And then you know, Ace over there, he's 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 a Saints fan and stuff. So I got my issues with the Vikings and Rams, but also the Bucks. It's all right. <laughs> it's all good. We forgive you and everything. It's that's that's cool though. Honestly, like I will say, like. You know, I remember watching Dante Culpepper and Brandon Moss and Chris Carter. The uh, I that was back in '98. Yeah, the '98. Yep. Um, oh my goodness, Jake Reed was there. Third yeah. receiver. Yep. The ninth, the '98 Thanksgiving Day game against the Cowboys. Oh yeah, but Moss. Way before, oh, way before my time, about five years. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, coach. This guy always gives me a hard time about my age on this show. You're eight years older than me. That's it. I, I, I have one question Bucks, about the bike. Uh, flag in the background there. Oh yeah, yeah. That he has the creamsicle one. I have the creamsicle one. And then the one over here on this wall, I actually have the original or the current one for now because I am a season ticket holder as well for the Bucks. So I was just saying, I see your Bucks flag in the background there. And, and mm. a little side note for you, the first head coach I ever worked for. So mm. I volunteered my first year of coaching and got the GA spot the second. Mm. First head coach I ever worked for, his name was Randy Hedbert. And he started at quarterback. He's from Minot State up in Minot, North Dakota. Started mm. at least one game for the Bucks back in, I think, the 70s. He had he, the the flowing uh, blonde locks coming out the helmet. He he showed us the the video on that and told us how that wait, went. Wait, what was his name again? Randy Hedberg. Randy Hedberg. Yeah, he he didn't play long, but I know he started at least one game for him. Yeah, they honestly. Oh, this guy. Okay. Yeah, didn't he? He came in after Doug Williams. I think so. Yeah, yeah. He, I just remember he he told us because we'd ask him and he didn't talk about it a whole lot, but we'd ask him how it went because we found the VHS of mm -hmm. uh, start. So we'd be playing in the GA office and ask him how it went. So he was watching it with us. He's like, and right about here, I I got my bell rung for the third time, and right here. I really don't remember what the play call was, but we're gonna make it work. So it was it was pretty funny though. Oh yeah, that those those some of those Bucks teams, like especially I feel I feel for the Bucks fans that they came up in the eighties and stuff. Like they had to watch a rough, rough product. I'm I'm just like, y'all are the real ones. <laughs> they'll stood through that and then having to deal with watch speaking of the lines, Barry Sanders and everything. Yep. Having to deal with him and John, those were some of John Lynch's longest days, honestly. And then, of course, you know, the Vikings were the purple people leaders. That's all, at one point, yeah. <laughs> so that actually, and then I had a question on him with the Vikings. So there's been, you know, Justin Jefferson has like a historic two year run, right? So how much further does he have to go to pass Randy Moss as the greatest Viking wide receiver or, or Carter? Chris Carter has the greatest Viking wide receiver. I mean, you can't argue with Carter now. His hands were were unbelievable. He's arguably one of the best receivers to play in the NFL. Obviously, Jerry Rice is number one, 
in my yeah. opinion, and most people, but <clears throat> excuse me, Carter's Carter's up there. So there's a lot of stuff you've got to do um, to surpass him. And then you have Randy Moss in the mix. Yeah. I think he froze again. He froze, but we, we got most of that, but he'll, he'll be back. He'll unfreeze. Yeah. Just give him a second. Yeah, him a second. Got a buffer, and he's back. I'm back. Awesome. All well, right. So – which one are we talking about, 49ers or Ray Lewis? We could talk about Ray Lewis saying, you know, there's no way the Ravens could let Lamar leave Baltimore. So how, how are we feeling about that? And then I propose this. But yeah, go, y'all go ahead. Well, I was doing some research because um, I don't like to go into anything without it. You know, and, and I was looking at some of the, the contract extensions for the quarterbacks now. You've got seven and it was seven quarterbacks making over forty million in a year, so the quarterback spot is is hot right now. You know, making that money, and and it should be because that's the one person on the team besides the center touches the ball basically every offensive snap. Um, you know, so what they're going to do with him, I I'm not quite sure. But you look at completion percentage was what sixty four and a half percent roughly. Uh, last year, you know, he's 16 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. Thank you for us again. Did. Did. We'll, we'll get him back. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm going to say why Why I think it's him and Cowher having the same issue. I think Lamar and him, because, you know, Cowher said he's not playing the next year on his contract. He wants an extension. While well, you're getting the exact opposite from Lamar saying, He's willing to play next year on that contract, and he's he's saying his contract will come when it comes. So it's going to be weird to see how they play. What do you think, Coach, on the differences between Kyler and Lamar's situations? Because we know Lamar had his injuries, but then also Kyler had hit. He's like the hot start, and then he just falls off at the end. Well, I think you look at their overall performance in, in the record. You know, you've got Lamar – who's what 41 and 17 over his career. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah. You know, so you mentioned he's, he's willing to play through it, get the contract extension at the end. I think from a financial standpoint, that can only help him out with the way contracts are going now. Um, I think it was, um, what's his name over in, in Arizona? Um, Murray. Yeah. So they're talking about, about him trying to lock him in on extension now, or if he if he plays through it, he'll probably make even more money with the way things are going. So from a financial standpoint, I think you know each one of them has their their agents and their thoughts. But I think you look at overall record and see, you know, how everything's how everything's going. And mm. and don't forget the uh, sour cap supposed to spike in the next two years with the new TV deal coming in. Yes. And there's been talks of uh, I think Amazon Prime already got Thursday Night Football, and I think Apple's trying to get um, some other. I think they're trying to buy a direct uh, Sunday ticket. So if they do that, that's even more money that Cowher or Lamar can make because the salary cap is going to be more. The percentage of a quarterback hits going to be smaller, so they can spend more money on it. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's it's a business. End of the day. Yes. Yes, and speaking of defenses too in the NFL. The, uh, the Buffalo Bills, we know that defense is basically the reason why they did what they did and basically took New, took New England out of the, the AFC playoff picture last year. 
But uh, in your opinion, what do you think Buffalo has to do to take that next step to become an elite team? I think first and foremost, the experience that you get, you know, and, and I'm a guy that the experience does a whole lot for you. Being in that situation, having the majority of the players back, mm-hmm. you're going to be better the next year. You know, yep. when you look at it, they've, they've struggled with Kansas City. They, they lost to him, I think, twice last year. So they've got to um, stay, stay poised when they play them and let that experience carry over because they, they do well um, the majority of the year. Offensively, they were doing pretty dang good, I thought, you know, mm-hmm. from what I saw. But um, I think it just caught up with them. So just staying poised as they're playing, you know, Kansas City specifically is going to help them out. But that experience will take them a lot further, too. Most definitely. And I think the addition of um, Von Miller. And then I'm not sure, was it last season they lost Tredavious White? Yeah, I was going to say they had no Tredavious White in the playoffs. And there's some other things. They did beat Kansas City last year in the playoffs, like pretty thoroughly. And then they fell apart to Tyree Kill in the end. But he's not in Kansas City anymore, so he's in their division. Oh yeah! Oh my gosh! That's right. Yes. So Ooh. I think I think they're gonna get Kansas City this year. It's more you're gonna have to keep an eye out if Tua makes that next step in Miami. Miami's gonna be a very serious uh, thorn in their side to say the least. I think. Yes. Yeah. Actually, it's funny you speak of you speak about Miami because that's low key in, in the back of oh, my mind. We have the question for a coach. Remember the Mac Jones? Who would he rather have for the next ten years, Mac Jones or Tua? Yeah, because this has been a hotly contested topic on. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're just curious, you know? Would you rather have for the next ten years? Would you rather roll with Mac Jones or Tua? Put him on the spot there, or he can't hear us. One, two. I think he froze. Yeah. He froze. I love be back. But yeah, wait, Coach, did you hear us? No, but you were giving me the option. I'm going to take both of them. <laughs> you that's know. a fair way to dodge a bullet. You know, see, it, it, that, that's a good, that's a good response. That's a good response. Now, now the other thing that I, I had was this is, um, as far as the honey badger goes, Tyron Matthew. Yeah. In the back of my mind, I've been thinking to myself, I'm like, if he went to Miami, that'd be pretty interesting. So I mean, where where would you? I know you you'll probably say Minnesota, but like. Where would you like to see the Honey Badger end up? Because I know he said if they were going to give him an Eric Reed deal, or I forget who it was. Justin Reed. Justin, yeah, Justin Reed. Reed deal. It's about ten yeah. million a year. I look. I think the contract was somewhere around ten million a year. Yeah, he said he would have gone back to Kansas City. But where would you like to see Tyron Matthew end up from a skill set and scheme fit? I mean, somewhere down south to me is is probably where he should be. You know, um, you get playing those games up north in Chicago, Green Bay. I mean, Minnesota's inside, but you get up up north and it it takes a toll on you. You know, I grew up up north and being down south, my joints feel better than anywhere anywhere else. You know, so um, and with him playing at LSU and all that, I, I think, you know, down south, Miami would be a great fit for him. Mm-hmm. Um Obviously, wherever wherever he can win the Super Bowl is the best fit. Yeah, I agree. I agree. honestly think he's waiting till after the draft, see see what happens there, who fills up their needs or whatnot, and then 
whoever gives him the contract, because he did say it's between Philadelphia, Los Angeles, and New Orleans so far, unless Miami comes sneaking up out of nowhere and gets them. Because Miami's shown they've been willing to spend the money, so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it'd be fun to see him out in L.A. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. See, that nah. would be – <laughs> Nah, I've, I've seen enough of L.A. They already got Bobby Wagner they, 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 and Allen Robinson. They, they can take a break. Yeah, I was going to say, Coach, this is like an NFC South. Like, <laughs> Show this ain't me. We ain't fans of the Rams. Um, and then, like, it's it's like weird. Me and him, between me and him, we were like, we're tired of seeing the Rams over and over again. But, yeah, I mean – you're not you're not tired of seeing your boy, uh, Coach Black, are you? No, I'm not. I'm not. That's in a spot. That's true. See, the, and then the thing is, is too. I think I believe they come to Tampa this year too. So it'll be good yeah. to have down here in the Sunshine State for a game. I'm not I'm not sure when it'll be, but it'll be good to have them back down here. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, See, we, I got you thinking the Rams now, don't I? Yes, you do. <laughs> yes, you do. See, this is because – oh, my goodness. Oh, All right. All right, Coach, quick question. Would you pay yeah. Debo Samuel $25 million that he wants if you're the 49ers? Or do you trade him for a first-round pick and probably a second, given what the Tyree Kill trade was? I mean, getting a first, second-round pick would be beneficial. would be helpful. Yeah, but- Potentially helpful too, but yeah, 49ers are going to be mad. But the you, fans, you, yeah. you could get both of them for less than that, spend money on someone else too. And honestly, too, the, the wide receiver class this year, I think, kind of allows you to be flexible and lose him, but replace him at the same time. I mean, if you get a first round pick, if I'm the 49ers, if you get a first round pick in like the teens, early 20s. You just take Traylon Burks and you're you're going to replace Debo Samuel with Debo Samuel. It's just a, a, a more thicker version, essentially, of what Debo Samuel is, is what Traylon Burks does. Like he can play every joker position, if you want to say, with like what Debo does. and mm-hmm. it, it makes sense for them to trade him and not give him quarterback money, albeit quarterback money now, given what Derek Carr just got, is like right. ridiculous, but... It, it just makes more sense financially, but then the fans are going to be upset knowing that they traded Debo before they traded Jimmy Garoppolo. So True. I yeah. don't think they care too much what the fans think, though. I mean, they do to some extent, I think. You you would think. But <laughs> look, look at Garoppolo. Look at what he's done since he's been in San Francisco. What's his he's record? Won. What he's won. Record, what, 31 and 14? Something, Something like that. I'll check it, but yeah. Good. He's been doing well. Uh, All right, let's go ahead and switch over now to the NCAA. Coach, I do have this question for you, seeing that you are a defensive coach. College football came out, or the NCAA came out with this, this new rule change proposal in college football. They are now going to give teams and players the chance to appeal all targeting penalties from the second half of football games ahead of the team's next game. So what is your take on that? And why did it take so long for the NCAA to take a closer look at the targeting rule? Well, what really what it boils down to is the conferences are the ones that can submit the, the uh, video review request to the head of officials. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they, they already review the targeting calls 
um, after they happen, they get to video review, take a look at it and see what's going on. So really, I think it's just another way to make sure that the call was correct. Um, I think somewhere I read a stat that it's like one targeting call in every five games is about the average that's being called right now. So to be able to do that, I think it does help um, if it was the incorrect call. But my guess is most of the calls that are being upheld in the game from the video evidence will then be upheld, you know, by um, Mr. Shaw when he watches a film. So I don't know how much it's really going to affect it. Now, the difference is back years ago before they had targeting, you know, it was the, the game was played differently. Now it's really a strike zone, you know, yeah. you have strike zone to hit. Um, and it changes how you have to teach defensively tackling and, and so forth. And, you know, it's all for safety, which is a hundred percent correct. Because if, if you don't keep the game safe, how long is the game going to be here? That's that's true too. Because honestly, I've I've always had this discussion too with my with my dad and everything about like you know, there's always been proper way to tackle. It's just I think some, and I feel like now in this day and age, more than back in the day, a lot of a lot of kids don't know how to textbook tackle. Yeah, feel like so I like I don't know. I've, I feel like some kids, like when they, when they make that transition from high school to college, because for one, the game is faster and everything, I feel like they come into that college setting a more having a more difficult time to like adjust and tackle properly, I feel. Well, and a big part of it is how when I was growing up, and started playing football, it was always tackle with your head across the body so you don't miss a tackle or it's an arm tackle. And, you know, all of that type of stuff was how it was taught. Mm. And now what we're getting is the two different types of philosophies kind of merging. And you mm. still have people under the old philosophy of head across the bow, no arm tackle. And then you have a lot of what's called the hawk tackle because it's Seahawks. And oh, it, it's tackling is what it is mm -hmm. so the the thing about it my brother played rugby in, in college and so i'd go watch him and when i'd come back i'd play a little bit <clears throat> they don't have helmets on so their head's not going to be across if they do they're going to get a concussion so their head's always behind but when you watch rugby matches on tv at the highest level he froze yeah Okay, I think now is the time to tell you that Terrell Owens just followed me. Congrats. Wait, he's back. On Twitter. Yeah. On both accounts. The, the, the main account and Sports Muse 1 just got followed by Terrell Owens. That's, that's why I was, like, shocked. I was like, wait, what? Hey, you're, you're welcome for that. You're welcome. I'm going to say. <laughs> Thank I'm, you, Dan. Dan, Dan was my good luck, Char. <laughs> wait, but Coach, Coach right. please do finish what you were saying. Yeah, and then I have a question for you on, on the tackling philosophies. Yeah, and what I was saying is it's now becoming more rugby-style tackling, which when you watch rugby matches, you don't see them missing tackles. It's it, The games are different. Mm -hmm. There are similarities, but that's kind of where everything's been turning over the past, I don't know, probably close to a decade, is more into the rugby-style tackling. Right. 
I, I agree with that. All right. So, Coach, so you're talking about, like, the different two different type of philosophies colliding, right? So, on the Sunday night football game back in in this NFL season, right, we saw the P.J. Williams tackle on Edwin. It was, like, below the hip, and everybody was mad because he tore his ACL off of that play. But, I mean, is there – how are you supposed to teach tackling to go for the body when you know – you were talking about the two philosophies, but there's the going down low and the going up high. How are you supposed to – keep it inside the main body where it's more area to bounce off on those type of plays, crossing routes and stuff like that to keep them from a first down. Did he hear me? Yeah, I think he heard you. But I think he froze again. Yeah, he froze. Hold on, give it a second. There we go. Yeah. Well, Coach, we Coach, can hear you. We can hear you, Coach. Am I here? Yeah, 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 you're here. So I, I think what you were asking is how do you teach tackling um, when they want you, in essence, to tackle at the hip, right? That's yeah. That's pretty much a premise. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, don't, I don't know the best answer for that because – to me, there, there are times you have to tackle somebody, you know, in the thigh. The big thing is, if you think about it, if you take their thigh out, you're going to take their body out. You know, nobody can run if you take their knees and you slam their knees together. So as you look at wrapping up and, and hugging their knees and, and bringing their knees as tight together as possible, the runner is going to go to the ground, you know. To me, if it's a, a bigger body, let's say an offensive guard is coming to kick me out, me personally, I'm not going to take him on high because he's 350 pounds and, you know, I, I'm 180 to 190 pounds. I'm not going to win that. It's, it's physics. So you've got to figure out how to do that. But I think the main thing is when you're doing it, um, it's the, the malicious intent that they're trying to take out of it. You know, try to get him to the ground, but don't try to blow his knee out, for example. I think that's what they're trying to adjust with with some of those tackling rules and arguments to it. I agree. I agree. Um, but yeah, we got to talk about this draft coming up, too, guys. Uh, so the biggest sleepers in this year's draft. First, first, first JPs, we got to get him to give his pitch for uh, Marquise Bell and Savion. What is Marquise Bell? Number one sleeper is Marquise Bell. He's not a sleeper to us who know him, right? Yeah, right. of course. But whoever picks him up, I mean, he understands. He is physical. He's athletic. He's rangy. Mm. Um, you know, we joke uh, in the defensive uh, meeting rooms, we joke that our safeties last year between Bell and AC were really just linebackers, you know. Um, so – to me, he's he's the number one. And then obviously you have um, AC. We've got you've got Savion. You've got some guys that that have big time experience and played high caliber football that we know what they bring to the table. And that's why all the scouts have been coming by the field house and coming to practice and games. And you know we had so many at pro day and all of that is is because of the product that that those guys are putting on the field. So that's first and foremost. Absolutely. All right. Oh, Smoky Schools watching this. Uh, what's up, guys? They said 
that Marcus Hill is in fact a monster. Yes, he is. Hey, remember, remember that tweet I had when I said Marquise is going to be the next Darius Leonard in the NFL. I truly believe it. Oh yeah, I'm with you. I too. think he can have that impact. And I had yeah. the tweet of Darius Leonard since he's shown up in the NFL. And that one did actually well. It was Darius Leonard's a thousand like, but it's the facts. I mean, he's he's third in the NFL in total tackles, second in uh, second in tackles itself, first in tackles by a non line a uh, non pass rusher. He's like most number one in forced fumbles, number one in forced fumbles recovered, three time first team All Pro, second team second All Pro. I mean. If you find there's dudes like that, like Teron Armstead from Arkansas, AR Pine Buck. I mean, you're going to find these studs everywhere. So, I mean, like the fact that Marquise and Mock Trass is going sixth, seventh round is ridiculous. Yeah, I honestly, I'm not buying too much into those. Uh, wait, did Coach? Yeah, he froze. Ooh. Oh, he did just missed my little soliloquy. Oh, he, he heard you. Oh, no. Uh, he's, no. But um yeah like I I definitely see I see Marquise Bell I've told people this I see him going like you know either third fourth round I yeah I think so I can see Saban going the same place Coach how how happy would you be if the Vikings could land Marquise Bell or Saban But I'd still cheer for him now he's done the Rams Hey come on I might you know adjust but. Ooh, this is a good question. See him up there. Pull it up. JP's pull up that question we just got from Swack in the Fool. Oh, here we go. Do you guys? What's ready? your coach take on this? I do. We all silly would. So, honestly, in my opinion, I definitely rank Bell higher than Durant. For one, they both play two different positions. Durant is a corner, and Bell's the safety, but. Honestly, in my opinion, and I'm sure Coach would agree with me, in the NFL, you have to be able to be versatile in order to last long in the NFL. So, to, in my opinion, guys coming in like Marquise Bell and Durant, you guys, they should be able to, be able, they should be able to play safety. They should be able to play the nickel. They should be able to play corner. They should be able to honestly really be that hybrid outside linebacker too, and if they can contribute on special teams as well. There's definitely a place for him. So that, that's my opinion on the defensive back position. Yeah, and taking nothing away from Durant. Absolutely phenomenal player. Um, you know, and you, we saw that for how many years? Mm -hmm. uh, but, again, I'm a bit biased. You know, um, I know Marquise can play corner. Um, we had him at safety. He played nickel. He was in the box as a linebacker. So we put him all over the place. You know, so I, I'm a bit biased towards it, but I I would go with Bell. Yeah, I think that 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 answer right 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 there is pretty much what sums it up. I mean, Durant feels more covered, but he can't he can't tackle and do the things Marquise can do in the box. That per, yep. per se. Yep. Now I will say to give Durant his due his due credit, I do know Joe Hayden is not back with the Steelers, so I can see Durant in Pittsburgh. Hey, hopefully. hey, Pittsburgh would draft him. I, Pittsburgh would definitely take him. And then I know Ace is definitely – he's the past couple I've, of months – I've been, been singing the Marquise to the Saints. Yeah, he's like, he's like, oh, my gosh, we lost Marcus hey, Williams. He, no, he, he would do what Malcolm Jenkins does, you know, like that kind of in the box going down low and those tackles for the loss. He would fit that because what, what um, Coach Allen said, I think it was the other day, he said he, he preaches he likes this versatility, this safety room is going to have. 
And it's like they can be interchangeable between the free and the strong, so you can't tell who's who in the coverage is. So, I mean, if you, you bring in Marquise, he fits that kind of mold that they're trying to do on the defense. It makes sense. Yeah, I agree. And they're not, and that team's not afraid to draft at HBCUs like you said, like how you saw the uh, 18s that didn't show for the Jackson State, and then you had two of those same teams that didn't show for the FAMU Pro Days. Like you already know that those aren't the type of teams you know that don't draft HBCU players for some whatever stupid reason. Uh, but yeah. there, there is teams that still do it all the time that and like draft them. To give credit to the Steelers, because I know, like, it's, I'm like swacked in the pool. I'm not a Steelers fan, I'm a Bucks fan. I, I would honestly love to have Savion Williams down here with Dominican Sue and Vita Vea. Um, but to to rebound off of that, I will say the Steelers are one organization, and the Raiders as well that have a history of drafting HBCU players yep. and having great success with those HBCU players. And and honestly, too, hey, the Dallas Cowboys as well. Both teams, and then Minnesota too with uh with Greg Coleman. Mm-hmm. Who who'd you just say? Greg Coleman. From where? From FAMU. And where'd he go? Minnesota. There you go. Yes, sir. <laughs> and yeah, I believe he does radio for the Vikings. If I'm yep. mistaken, he's he's still involved up there. Nice, nice. <laughs> um. But yeah, and honestly, see, and the other the other thing too is, that, like I said, we're not talking about Antoine Collier in this whole thing too. I feel like he would be a great addition, mm-hmm. honestly, somewhere. Uh, look, you can make a debate for him to go. In my opinion, Kansas City. He has he has the experience at both levels, in the FCS and the FBS level. I feel like he would be a great addition. I think Raymond cuts would be. Ooh. That's actually a good one. I'm actually glad Coach just unfroze for that. <laughs> I wanted, to, I did want to talk about this one, the uh, defensive end transfer that's coming in. Coach, how how are we how are we feeling about Raymond Cuts? Whenever we get people on campus, I'm happy. <laughs> sure. I'm look, I'm excited for this one. I think I think he's a great addition to go with Isaiah Land. Hey, hey Coach. Um... How how much more uh better do you think Isaiah Lance can be in more impact purpose plays? I'm gonna say to like sum it all up for him, like how much better do you think he's gonna be next or yeah I guess well this year next season whatever you want to call it but yeah. Or you don't get what I'm asking. I was just like, what what kind of impact do you think is gonna have that's improvement over last year, considering he's already weeding FAMU and sacks and all of that. Well. You always develop year to year. You develop, you know. And when I got here in '19, Land was actually in my my room uh, as a position player, so got to work closely with him. You know, he he went to defensive end. Just the scheme adjusted, um, and he excelled there. But he had developed from '19 all the way till what 21. You know, that year and a half with COVID, he's putting the effort in. He's putting the time in. You know, he's just got to keep on going. So um, it, it's always fun to to see how much they actually progress. We can project it all we want, but the fact of the matter is when it's time to snap the ball, how do they do? Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. And that's like, that's like you said earlier, Coach, you know, with game preparation and everything from, you know, Monday through – well, really, Sunday through – 
yeah, Sunday through Friday, you know, just making the right adjustments, getting the right people in the right place to have success, focusing on those details and the fundamentals and everything. And then, you know, like Swack and the Fool said, you know, let them go hunt. Yeah, no doubt. Let hey, let the hunters hunt. Yes, sir. And there is one final thing I will say before we wrap up. Um, and I was telling Savy on this is uh, the mental toughness that you guys had. I should have asked this in the in HBC part, but the mental toughness you guys had that whole season last year, when you guys faced adversity, you guys were able to, you know, overcome it. Cause, and again, see, this is, I think this is a part that people don't always understand is the mental toughness to close out games. Yeah. The And I always say, and this isn't to downplay anybody, smartest teams always usually win on Saturday. So and I, I look at it, and whenever you guys got in those close games, nine times out of ten, literally, you guys closed it out because mm-hmm. you guys are making those tough fourth quarter catches. You guys are making those key stops there at the end. Yep. You think so? I mean, how much does that you know speak to your guys's strength and conditioning team and your? I don't know if y'all do fourth quarter drills, but your guys' yep. fourth quarter program. You know, it's it's a testament to everybody that's involved in the program from from the top down to to strength, to the athletic trainers, um, the administration, the fans, you know, all of that to deal with adversity and everybody deals with adversity every single day. So it's nothing new. It's a matter of being able to focus in on the task at hand, like we talked about earlier, when the adversity hits. And to come together as a family, you know, and, and these guys are, are very, very tight group. And you saw that last year on the field. So mm-hmm. in their minds, we were never out of a game ever. And they were going to start to come together and hold each other accountable when needed, but come together. And, and that's what you saw, that, that kind of calm nature even though it seems like things are all over the place, but they stayed calm. They focused in, they knew we were going to come back. That's just the the faith that we have in the team and the program and in how everything's set up. And again, I I said it before, it goes back to those seven pillars we have from, from coach Simmons, you know, every day represents a different F and that all comes together on game day in, in fourth quarters. I agree. I definitely agree. And it's it's a wonderful thing to see that. All right. What's up, Quick Ace? question. So we were talking about this last week, me and Jay Peep. So like how much do you think the chemistry is improving every single year and like the, the vibe of the locker room, you know, is like the like the dancing and mm-hmm. all that. We were we were talking about this last week and I just want to get your take on what's the impact in the, the, the closeness of the closeness of the team and how they how their behavior is with each other and that kind of tight family yet fun oriented type vibe that they have going for them. The the chemistry changes every single year because you never have the same team yeah. two years in a row. You bring in guys, whether they're freshmen or transfers, you have guys who graduate, move on, whether eligibility is done or they just decide I have an awesome paying job. I'm going to go do that instead. So every year is different. But it's when you have that core group that's together from year to year, they kind of set the tone with the new guys coming in to what's expected, what the standards are, um, you know, what's accepted, what's not accepted. 
And that's what you saw on Saturday. The guys were out there having fun, regardless of what side they were on. They were out there having fun. And the game of football should be fun. You know, it, it at certain levels, it is business, but it's a game. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's a game. It should be fun. And you see that with our guys. They're, they're close. They have fun. They enjoy being around each other. If they're not together at the field house, they're together somewhere else on campus. You know, so um, each year is different. Uh, and, and it's always interesting to see when you leave spring to get into fall camp, how that chemistry carries over and how it adjusts as the new guys start coming into the program. I agree. I agree. We also have a we have a comment before we wrap up uh, from Twitter. Mrs. Coach Lemke said, I'm watching. Careful how you talk about my Lions. Hey. <laughs> it's the same way I talk about them at home, too. <laughs> I feel bad, though, for why I'm fans. I, I really do, actually. I don't know. I just, I just, it's sometimes you just like, after the amount of years that they've had a disappointment, have you ever watched, and like, have you watched a Thanksgiving Day game with yeah. Lions fans? Not oh, just no, with, not with Lions fans. Not with them. No. We, we've gone up to my in-laws enough for Thanksgiving, and the game's always on, and mm. everybody starts out in the living room, and then about mm, two or three series in, they all leave the living room, and I'm sitting by myself watching the football game. And they'll come oh. pop back in and see what's going on and go have their conversation of it's the same Lions doing the same thing every year. And, you know, they, they, they just want a Thanksgiving miracle. That's all I hear. Uh, you know, I we, have actually, another, we have another comment, actually. Oh, oh, we do. Right. Here we go. But finish with your thing, JP, into that one. Here we go. Jordan Moore. Jordan Moore is moving his playing weight down from Juco. He lost the bigger safeties in Bell and Collier, but gained speed. Will there be an official strong safety, and we may see multiple safety looks? I assume it's a or we may see multiple safety looks. Yeah. Well, really, you see us with two, three, four safeties on the field mm -hmm. you know, normally. So biggest thing that we look at is the best guys that give us the best chance to win are going to play. And – you know, Jordan, we're, we're excited about him coming in. And once he gets in, it's time to showcase what he can do and, you know, go from that point. I agree. I definitely agree. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm with you with the whole Lions thing because I, 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 I will say I'm just curious. How, what was the vibe when Justin Tucker kicked that historic field goal? Twice. One, yeah, twice. Well, he's done it twice to them. And one and one both with <laughs> in the, the same state. The, the the bigger question, the bigger question, and I know I'm going to hear about it uh, as soon as we're done with this, and that's okay. But the bigger question is, Matthew Stafford spent how many years in Detroit? Oh no, he oh, leaves, no. goes to the Rams first year, full oh, champion. Oh, so the 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 question is, Megaton is he still Barry? a lion? Oh no! Oh, well, I was gonna say about what happens if what if Megatron and Barry Sanders left, but yeah, that's also a good question. 
Oh lord. Hey coach, when when we get off, ask ask your wife who who does who does she want the Lions to draft second overall and what's her prediction for this year? I want to just first, get like first, just put in the comment section of this video. I think I got cut off. The question is is he a lion or is he a ram? <laughs> because in my house, I know what the answer is. Mm -hmm. He's still claimed as a lion. Mm -hmm. I will say this. I feel like when he's done playing and hanging and hangs it up for good, he will be remembered as a Ram more so. The same way Jerome Bettis will be remembered more so as being a Steeler versus being a Ram. I'm gonna leave it at that. I I don't know the right answer. I'm so so the question is if if Brady wins another Super Bowl in Tampa, are are they are gonna because you know they're barely talking about him with the Patriots for some reason like the last year and a half. I mean, he didn't even give a thank you note to New England when he retired. So that might that might come up soon. With that, I still think people will remember him as a one in six rings and with Eli Manning twice. I'll remember him as a Patriot. Me, honestly, being a Bucks fan, I will, I, I will remember him for losing to Eli Manning in the Super Bowl. As as the Patriots days one. And then the Super Bowl that he won in Tampa, I just remembered as the Jared Cook fumble. That's it. Oh, poor you. That's right. I forgot. We were up we were up twenty to ten. Jared Cook fumbled that damn ball and we were down thirty to twenty like that. You'll be fine. You'll be <laughs> I've fine. been traumatized enough in the high school days. So hey, hopefully college goes better. The Vikings have been to the Super Bowl four times, and this is before I was born, four times, and lost every time. The only other team I know that's done that is Buffalo. Buffalo, yeah. Hey, if you think about it, if Minnesota and Buffalo get there for the Super Bowl against each other, someone's got to win. Eventually. Give. Yeah. So I, I don't hey. they just go into like five over time. They're on to something. Exactly. Just, you know, keep the faith. Kirk Cousins said he, he's on a mission to get a ring. Mm, I don't know about that, Chief. We'll see. We'll see. But, Coach, um, everybody, that's going to do it for us this evening. We hope this you've enjoyed. Um, Coach, we thank you for joining us this evening Thanks. as well. Thanks for having me. It was it was a pleasure. Yes, sir. This was this fun. Was fun. This, yeah. This, I'm not even going to lie. I would love to do a film session with you and that defensive staff. I, I would be perfectly fine with watching five hours worth of film with y'all. <laughs> If they let me, and if I can ever get to Tallahassee in time, and if you <laughs> any free time for me, I would love to do that. But, um, Coach, where can we uh, find you on social media? Uh, Twitter is about the only thing I okay. use right now, and it's at Coach underscore Lemke. That's L-E-M-K-E. -E. And if you find me, you're, you're going to find my wife on there, and she's she posts a lot more than I do. <laughs> oh, well, it's all good. It's, it's, hey, uh, Mrs. Lemke, if you're watching, I want I want to hear who you want for as as a Detroit Lions fan for number two in the draft because I have no idea because I have to do my mock draft for before the draft for last give, and I have no idea if you're all gonna go Malik Willis or if you're going Thibodeau. So I just want to know what your thoughts are on that, and if <laughs> and if you're like Evan Fox from the Pat McAfee show, and if if you're ten and six in a playoff win, ten and seven in a playoff win, that's it. I will say I feel like they could go Aiden Hutchinson. Aiden Hutchinson, uh, if if Jacksonville screws that up, then it'll be Aiden Hutchinson. Oh yeah, most definitely. Um, 
Well, yeah, Coach, we thank you. Um, closing thoughts. This was fun. I enjoyed this. I really did. I enjoyed this. Ace, anything to close out? Um, yeah, I mean, we we gotta do we gotta do this again sometime. This one was this one was a lot of fun. Like after next season, we're gonna have to do this again and get his recap of last or the season again. Cause this just the way how we just got the amount of information we got from Coach Wemke was just <laughs> yes, that's outstanding. Yes, to say the least. This is why well, I love defensive coaches. <laughs> it it's been known to happen. So the one thing you didn't get to was the Tennessee baseball. Oh yeah, that's right. But, I mean, they're, they they lost, I think, yesterday or a couple of days ago. They were playing Alabama today. I did some research on that. Oh, yeah. Honestly, even, I mean, even, that's been a historic start. 31-2 and two now, basically. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's historic. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. Because usually it's the other team that starts with a T in orange. That's usually, like, the most elite baseball yep. program in the country, Texas. Yeah. The fact that it's Tennessee coming out of the SEC and not LSU, Vandy, or Florida is that speaks volumes. Think of this in, in their games. I, I added because I'm a numbers guy. So mm. I went through and I added up. They've scored 323 runs in those 33 games, and they gave up 73 in their, their first three. Think of that. I'll leave you with that nugget for the night. <laughs> I'm going to put that on the Sports Muse One account. Yes. That's. Is that I'm telling you now that's gonna be a scary team if they can keep the momentum still rolling come college world series time. Oh yeah. Very dangerous team. Um but yes, in closing, coach, we thank you. Uh we hope you have a blessed evening. We wish yep. you safe travels on your way back home coming down from Columbus. Um, you know, we've always got high hopes for the team, most definitely coming into 2022. We do know like again. The game the season starts in Chapel Hill. We hope it ends in Atlanta. Yeah. We do know that there's a there's a revenge game on September 4th <laughs> in Miami Gardens coming up. There you go. In in the next week, that September 10th game is a big one for me. That's okay. a big one. My 40th birthday now. Oh and, and, and my wife said she got me a live band for my birthday party. Happens to be the marching one hundred at okay. the game. But you know what? No better way to celebrate than with the Rattlers. Yes, sir. You mean no better way to celebrate without a W and have some fun while you're at it. <laughs> yes. And also the band in the background. It's also cool. But I mean, be a friend to our friend. Hey, let everyone know that we had Coach Dan Lemke on who's watching. Retweet on if you're on Twitter. Let him spread all the information that we've heard from Lemke. You know, all that good stuff, guys. Uh, Chris Rizvogli from S uh, Sports Illustrated joining us next week. I mean, this was fun. I mean... Anything else, GPs, before we wrap this one? Nothing really. Y'all stay safe, be happy, stay blessed. We will yep. see you next week. Coach Lemke, thank you so much. Thank you, man. Appreciate y'all. Yes, sir.